we have victory. <laughs> That's Canaan land. So if we can look at the example in the Old Testament of how the people of faith entered into and walked in the victory that God gave them, then we can also get a picture of how us today as the people of faith, the people of God, are to enter in and walk in our victory. So brother, victory over water, victory over whom? Well, how about victory over sin? Listen to me, folks. Because I have placed my faith in Jesus and now the Holy Spirit of God dwells in me, I no longer have to jump when the devil says how high. Sin has no control over me as a child of God. And it has no control over you as a child of God. Why? Because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We have victory over sin, but listen, we have to choose day by day to walk in that victory. It's a choice that we make, a conscious choice daily, whether to live the old way according to the old man or we live the new way according to the new man. Daily we make a conscious choice whether to walk in the flesh, that old sinful nature, or to walk in the spirit, that new nature that's been provided by new life in Christ. And so we need to understand, we have victory over sin. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, I love this verse, one of my favorite in all the Word of God. It says, let, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doeth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that God has set before us. I love that. You know what the writer is saying there? He's saying that, listen, when we are weighted down by the sin in our lives, we cannot effectively run the race God's called us to run. We can't be effective in making an impact for the kingdom of God in a lost and dying world if we're weighted down by sin. Child of God, you don't have to be weighted down by sin. Jesus gave you the victory at the cross. Now we got to walk in it. Now we got to claim it day by day. Now, we've got victory over sin. We need to walk in that. How do you know we also got victory over Satan? <laughs> Do you know you have an enemy? If you don't know you have an enemy, let me let you in on a little secret. You've got an enemy. His name is Satan. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and 8 that he is like a roaring lion seeking to and fro whom he might devour. Anybody who knows anything about how a lion devours its prey is that lion will tear that prey limb from limb. Let me tell you what I think God's word is saying to us as believers. Our enemy, Satan, wants to do everything he can to tear down what God has done in your life and what God is doing in your life. Life. He wants to tear down your ministry. He wants to tear down your witness. He wants to tear down your marriage. He wants to tear down, listen, your church. He wants to tear down your witness. Everything that God has done or is doing, He wants to tear apart. But I got some great news for you. The scripture says, Greater is He that's in me than He that's in the world. <laughs> we have victory over the enemy, but we must walk in that. We got victory over sin. We got victory over Satan. Let me say something else. We got victory over situations. You know, brothers, what's the situation? Well, situations that stuff that keeps you up at night. Amen. Anybody else got some of that stuff? Me too. Broken relationships, unmet expectations, shattered dreams, things just ain't worked out like you thought it was going to work out, like you wanted to work out. And man, that'll keep you up at night if you ain't careful. You've got victory over all that. Can you say amen? Yeah. 
But you've got to choose to walk in it. Trusting that, listen, God is a restorer. Can you say amen to that? Do you know that what uh, Satan has took and meant for evil for you, God can turn it around and use it for good? Do you know God can take your mess and make a message in it? He can and he will. I'm a living proof of that. I promise you. If God can take and change me, he can take and change anybody. So I'm just saying, you've got victory over your situation, that stuff that's still keeping you up at night. It's different for us all. How about stuff? you got victory over stuff, but you've got to walk in it. What stuff? Well, stuff is that just stuff we all deal with. Physical problems. Some of us got that. Relational problems. Some of us got that. Emotional problems. Some of us got that. Financial problems. From time to time, we might even have that. Let me tell you something. Listen to me. God gives you victory over all that. But you've got to learn to walk in it. Amen. I'm telling you, I believe God wants to bless his people. How about you? A man that's walking in financial hardship as a child of God has to do his part and receive and walk in the victory that God's already given for God to bring about the promise. Can you say amen to that? Let me, let me put it to you like this. Let's, let's just say you've got a man who is struggling financially, and man, he ain't working, and he's been praying for a job and praying for a job and praying for a job, but he never goes and puts in any applications. He asks for a job, but he's not really wanting a job. And then he gets mad at God because God is not providing for him financially. Well, let me say something to you. God has given you the victory. God promises to meet your need according to his riches and glory. But that don't mean you sit on the stool of do nothing and do nothing. You do your part and let God do his part. I had a sister tell me something last week that I love. She said, we ought to pray or work like it all depends on us. Amen. I ought to work in my church like it all depends on me. I ought to work for my family like it all depends on me. I ought to work at my job like it all depends on me. But I ought to pray like it's all dependent upon God. You do your part, let God do His. That's how you start walking in victory. You start taking responsibility for who you are and what you do. You trust God enough to walk by faith. We have victory over all this stuff, but you've got to choose to walk in it daily. You've got to put into practice what God has promised. Let me tell you something, folks. The work of God is not, it's hindered by my lack of, of living by God's principles. It's not hindered by God's faithfulness to keep his promise. God's faithful to keep his promise. God wants to do what he said he would do in his word. But listen to me, he cannot bless you if you're not doing your part. Amen? Because then he would be in contradiction with himself and with his word. A lot of the promises of God, matter of fact, most of them are conditional promises. We saw one in, in, in Joshua chapter 1 last week. He said, Joshua, if you will do all this, this, and this, then I'll do this, this, and that over there. Remember that? I didn't get as far as I wanted to go last week in Joshua chapter 1, so Lord willing, we're going to look back at Joshua chapter 1 tonight. But right now, let's look to Joshua chapter number 2. And I want to talk to you this morning about faith that changes the future. The faith of Rahab. 
Keep your place there in Joshua chapter 2 and flip over with me to Hebrews chapter number 11. I'll read to you one verse in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to pray for you. Then I've got three main points I want to give you from Joshua chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 11, watch this. We're going to look down at verse number 31. Let me give you a little bit of background on Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is known as the hall of faith. The hall of heroes. <laughs> These are the great men and women of God all throughout the ages that we've read about on the pages of Scripture from Genesis all the way up to the New Testament and how God worked in them and on them and through them to accomplish His goodwill and purpose. And God outlines for us how faithful these people were. Uh, I'm talking about in, in verse number 5, you'll find the story of Enoch. And the Bible says that Enoch was translated from earth into heaven. He never saw death. I've heard it said like this, Enoch walked with God all of his life and one day when he was walking with God, God said, Enoch, we're closer to my house than we are to yours. Why don't you come on home and go with me? And that's exactly what happened. He was translated from this world never having seen death. He was a great man of faith. You'll find the story of Noah there. Everybody remembers Noah, don't you? Nathan, Noah found favor with God. The Bible says he was a righteous man. And listen to me now. He faithfully preached the word of God for hundreds of years. He preached the gospel that judgment was coming, but God had provided a way of escape, and it was through the ark he was building. He was faithful in preaching. He was faithful in preparing the ark, and God saved him and his family, and from the family of Noah, all the earth was replenished. Noah was a great man of faith. We find the story of Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham is called the father of faith. The Bible says he believed God, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. It was through Abraham, his seed, that all the earth was blessed in the person of the Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs> He's a great man of faith. Talks about Isaac, Jacob. Talks about Joseph. What a great man of faith he was. All right here in Hebrews chapter 11. If you're looking for a great quiet time study this week, I would recommend Hebrews chapter 11. Man, there's some powerful stuff right here. He talks about all of these people, Moses, that led the nation of Israel out of the bondage in Egypt and brought them to the promised land. Great. Men and women of faith talks about Sarah. She trusted God to give her the child of promise, even her old age. But then right in the middle of all of this, it mentions Rahab. Look what it says about her. Watch. Hebrews 11.31, by faith the harlot, everybody say the harlot. By faith the harlot, Rahab, perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Now this is amazing to me. This blesses my heart and blows my mind when I think about it. The Bible says that Rahab was a harlot. Now to let you in on what a harlot is as tactfully as possible, a harlot's a street walker. It's a prostitute. Harlot, as far as the word of God goes, is about as low as you can get. Amen? But the Bible puts Rahab the harlot right up there with Abraham and Moses and Noah. Joseph and Isaac and Jacob and Enoch, all with, with all of this hall of faith, how was it possible that Rahab went from the house of shame to the hall of faith? 
How is it possible that this woman who is at the lowest of lows, God could set her, but could bring her to right standing with himself? How is it possible that Rahab could be saved? Well, I'll tell you, the same way that all of us are saved. She was saved by faith. <laughs> now, let me, let me let you know something. This dispels any notion whatsoever that you've went too far for God to save you. You know, I hear that a lot as a pastor. I was actually talking to a man at my workplace last week. And he was sharing with me about some troubles he was going through in his life and some problems that he had. And he was pretty much telling me all of this stuff that he was dealing with. And he said, I just don't think God wants me anymore. He's broken. He was hurting. Upon the authority of the word of God, I want to tell you what I told him. Nobody, and I mean nobody, has ever went so far that God can't reach down by his mercy and grace and pick you up. The psalmist said it like this in Psalm 40. He said that he was in a miry pit, but the Lord by his mercy reached down into the pit, picked him up, and set his feet upon a rock and established his goings. Amen. Not only did, did, did Rahab, listen to me now, get put in the hall of faith, but there's some other amazing things we're going to see in just a moment. Rahab is actually in the lineage of Jesus. It's amazing. God's mercy and grace is so real. And it's relevant for you today, wherever you are. The Bible says that uh, she perished not with them that believed not when she has received the spies with peace wow the story of the faith of Rahab is found in Joshua 2 and we'll look at that after we pray Father we love you thank you for loving us thank you for the truth of your word Lord I'm so thankful this morning that nobody has went so far that you can't save them I'm thankful that you love us with an unconditional everlasting love I'm thankful Lord that you've been with me in my preparation and I'm asking that you be with me in this presentation by your power Move me behind the cross and use me. Lord, I pray today that you would be glorified. The church would be edified. Satan would be horrified. And that, Father, you would do the work that only you can do in the hearts and lives of people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've heard it said, and maybe you have too, nature forms us. Education informs us. Society reforms us, but only Jesus can transform us. <laughs> and that's true. Listen, society does its part, and education does its part, nature does its part, but if you want to be transformed, if you want to be created anew, made new, you have to be made new in Jesus. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, something that's never been before. Jesus transforms those who trust in him. The story of Rahab lets us know that full well. I'm telling you, she was truly transformed by faith in the Lord. When she chose to place her faith in the Lord, everything changed in her life. Her faith changed her future. It changed her future in the immediate fashion. How many of you know we're going to find as we study on through the book of Joshua that, listen, 
Jericho was going to be destroyed. You've all heard the story. We'll read about it in a few weeks. We'll talk about it maybe next Sunday or the next. But Jericho is going to be destroyed by the power of God. And so by her trusting in who God is and what God could do, it changed her immediate future right then. But it also changed her future long term. Like I said before, we're going to find out as we go along, Rahab actually married after she became a part of the Israelite nation, the people of God, the people of faith. After she became a part of that people by faith, amen, she married a man by the name of Salmon. Salmon was the great-great-grandfather of King David. Now, we just celebrated Christmas, and we found out, listen to me, folks, Jesus came of the house and the lineage of who? King David. And if you go back to Matthew chapter number 1, you look at the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ that's given there, you're going to find Salmon in there. Salmon, being the great-great-grandfather of David, was married to Rahab. Amen. Rahab and Salmon had Boaz, so on and so forth, all the way down the line unto the Lord Jesus. So not only did it change her future in the immediate fashion, it changed her future long term. Now, now listen to me. It also changed my future. And it changed your future. Because it was through Rahab Jesus came. Are you getting me? You see how faith works? Listen, faith like this not only impacts your lives, but people all around you. It impacts the world. So I think it would do what we would do well to study this type of faith. This morning, I want to show you three things. First of all, I want you to see the timing of God. The timing of God. And we're going to look at that in, in, in Joshua chapter 2 in the first seven verses. Let's look there together. Joshua 2 verse 1, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house. For they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, there came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out, whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. Verse 6. And she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them to the, after the way of the men to Jordan under the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. Now listen to me. I want you to get the picture. Joshua sends two spies into the land, into Jericho, because that's the first city they're going to come to after crossing the River Jordan. They're going to figure out who's where and what's going on and the lay of the land and what is the best way to go in and overtake the city, because that's what God told them to do. Go and possess the land. Go and claim Canaan. Amen. And so, listen, these two men go in, and the Bible says they enter into the house of Rahab. Now, let me ask you something, folks. Do you think it's any accident that they entered into this one house? I think there's two reasons. I don't think it's by, by accident at all. Two reasons, I believe, they entered into Rahab's house, the harlot. 
First of all, they were men. And so they entered into the house of the harlot because of their identity, to keep their identity a secret. Amen? There would be nothing thought of two men going, two strange men going into a harlot's house. They couldn't dwell in other houses maybe, but they could go in there and dwell in the city without anybody thinking any the wiser. Amen? Now, not only was it to, uh, to hide and conceal their identity, but it was also because of divinity. Amen? What I believe was happening is God is orchestrating all of this stuff so that Rahab may come to the place that she can be what God wants her to be. And his timing is perfect. Have you ever noticed that God's timing is perfect? I'm telling you what. Never ceases to amaze me. Let me make this statement to you. Listen to me, folks. God is never early. And God is never late. He's always right on time according to his will. Now, I'm okay with that, and you ought to be okay with that, because God's will is the best way. Amen. In the providence of God, he brought the spies at the right time to the right house to share with Rahab so that she might be what God had purposed for her to be. See, the providence of God, and, and my own um, meager definition, you're probably not going to find this in any commentary or, or any dictionary, and that's probably a good thing, but the providence of God is God fulfilling His purpose, His way, and His timing. God's timing is always perfect to accomplish his plan. Now we're going to see in just a moment that Rahab was under conviction when these men got there. Rahab was already thinking about the things of God and the truth of God long before they ever came. Now let me tell you why I believe that is. I believe God the Holy Spirit was already doing a work in her heart and life. Isn't that how the Holy Spirit works? Do you know the Holy Spirit of God? Listen to me very, clear, very plainly. Listen. The Holy Spirit of God is working in the hearts and lives of people today. Let me tell you how he works. He works in the person across the street, that sinner, he's working in their heart to soften them. And he's orchestrating all of these things in their life, in his timing, to bring them to the place where they know they need Jesus. He softens that heart. And he teaches that heart. And he uses a little bit over here and a little bit over there. And he uses this person and that person to plant the seed and to water the seed. And he brings all of that together in his timing for his purpose. And then he begins working in the heart of the soul winner on this side of the street. And as he works in the heart of the soul winner on this side of the street... And he works in the heart of the sinner on that side of the street. He's preparing that heart and he begins preparing this heart and in his timing brings them together so that his will might be accomplished and people might come into the kingdom. Isn't that exciting? Whew. Think about that for a minute. Let all that roll around. And you said, brother, how do you know this? Well, I see evidence of it all throughout scripture. Do you remember the story of Philip and the... And the uh, Ethiopian remember that Philip's in Samaria preaching or a great revival's going on people's getting saved by the hundreds maybe the thousands people's being healed God's doing the work the only God can do right in the middle of it God speaks to Philip says get to the desert go out to Gaza in the middle of nowhere 
And when he got out there, what was happening? The Bible says that there was an Ethiopian there that was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Now, if the Holy Spirit's ever been working on a brother, it was working on him. He's reading about Jesus and how that Jesus would come and would be wounded for the transgression of the world. He would be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace would be upon him. And it was by his stripes that we would be healed. This man has been to Jerusalem, to the most religious city in the world, but religion gave him nothing. Now he gets out in the middle of the desert, and guess what happens? By the providence of God, in God's timing, God sends the soul winner when, while he is working in the heart of the sinner, brings them two together at the right time, in the right place, and God is glorified. And a life is changed. And history tells us that that Ethiopian goes back and opens up northern Africa for the gospel. That's how God does it. He did it with Philip and the Ethiopian. He did it with Peter and Cornelius. Do you remember that in Acts chapter 10? Cornelius was an officer in the Roman army. And the Bible says that he had a dream that somebody's going to come and tell him how to be saved. While God was working in Cornelius and gave him a dream, he also gave Peter a dream. And in, the Peter, in Peter's dream, he said, Peter, go down to the house of Cornelius, tell him how to be saved. <laughs> now, how did Cornelius get to this point? I don't know. Maybe being a soldier, he's out one starry night in command of his men. He looks up at the stars in the heavens and he said, man, all of this, is, it didn't just happen. And he began to have a desire to know how it happened and by whom it happened. And the Holy Spirit of God birthed that desire in him and began working in his heart like the, only the Holy Spirit can do. He's working on that side of the street with the sinner and he starts working on this side of the street with the soul winner and brings Peter together at the right time to share with him the truth. And Cornelius gets saved. What about Jesus and the Samaritan woman? You remember that one, don't you? Jesus is out traveling, preaching the gospel, preaching the word of the kingdom. And the Bible says he had a must needs to go through Samaria. And as he was working on the Samaritan woman, the Holy Spirit was working on one end, Jesus came on the other end, brought the truth of the kingdom. She got saved, went back and preached to her whole village. God's timing is perfect. Now then, this is the exciting part. You know God hadn't changed. And if God can work with Rahab and the two spies and God can work with Philip and the Ethiopian and God can work with Peter and Cornelius and God certainly worked with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. If God can do all that then, he can still do it now. And what I know tomorrow, I'm praying and believing that God the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts and lives of people that you're going to be around. I'm talking about people at your, at your school, young people, in Hamilton High School. God's going to be birthing something in someone's heart there, working in that heart tomorrow. Now what I'm praying is he's working on that end with the sinner. He's working on this end with the soul winner. And I'm praying for a divine opportunity that he brings that together. And you begin preaching truth that changes lives. Amen? Did you hear me? What about you? What about you? What about you? 
See, that don't just happen at school. How about that can happen at your workplace too? These divine opportunities where God the Holy Spirit's working on that end and God begins working on this end. And then he brings us together at the right time, at the right place by his providence to bring about his will to accomplish his purpose and plan. So let me ask you something. How important is it that we be spirit-led and that we be bold enough to walk by faith? How important is it that we get our spiritual ears open and our spiritual eyes open so that we know when those opportunities arise? How important is it that we step through the door that God opens in the right time? The timing of God, you need to see that. But now, let me say something else. You also need to see the truth of God. Let's go to verse number 8. And before they were laid down, she came up upon the roof, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what he did to the two kings of the Amorites, and were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og. And ye utterly destroyed. Verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things, watch what it says. Our hearts did melt. Watch. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth. Now, let me ask you something, folks. How did a Canaanite pagan who was worshiping false gods, how did she come to the realization that there is only one true God? How did that happen? I'll tell you how that happened. She got a hold of the truth of who God is. She heard the story of what God was doing with his people. She heard the story about how God was giving victory for his people, in his people, and through his people. Y'all must have missed that, so I'm going to say it again. She got a hold of the truth that God was doing something for his people, in his people, and through his people. Now when that happened, the Bible says that her heart began to melt. I don't know about you, but that sounds like conviction to me. I remember when grace taught my heart to fear. And by grace, my fears relieved. How about you? She was scared to death. Good to get scared. Matter of fact, I don't even, I'm not even against feeling bad. Let me tell you why. You got to feel bad to feel good. Until you realize your great need for a Savior, until you realize you are lost and undone, until you realize you are an enemy of God, dead in your trespasses and sins without Him, until that becomes as a realization to you, you're never going to get saved. I know everybody wants to talk about your best life now and 14 steps to a better you. There's a little bit of good in all of us. The truth is there's bad in all of us. And we can't be made good without the power of God. Folks, listen. We need Jesus. You need Jesus. Let me tell you what your problem is. You need Jesus. He changes things. He changes things. She got a hold of this truth. Kind of like the people in Acts chapter 2. Do you remember in Acts chapter 2? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God fell. And they started preaching 
with tongues of fire so that everybody from all these different nationalities could hear in their native tongue what thus says the Lord. And the Bible says that they asked two questions. You can go back and read it in Acts chapter 2. First of all, they asked after they seen all these people preaching in everybody's tongue, preaching with these cloven tongues of fire. The Bible says that they said, what meaneth this? And then you go down in Acts chapter 2 to about verse 33, I believe somewhere around in there. And they asked the question, what shall we do? They saw God doing a work in his people that only God could do. And they said, what meaneth this? They heard the truth of the gospel message that Peter preached. And they said, what shall we do? <laughs> kind of what happened with Rahab. She saw how God was bringing victory in and for and through his people in ways that only God can do. We saw you dry. We heard about you drying up the Red Sea. We heard about you bringing victory to your people when they shouldn't have won. They were winning by your power. We heard about that. We heard about how you destroyed those kings on the other side of the Jordan. I've heard this truth. Conviction came to her heart. She saw the victory and said, what meaneth this? And then she said, what shall I do? That's why I keep telling you. We preach the gospel with our lips. Sure. But if you're not preaching it with your life, nobody's going to listen to your lips. It's through your life. They say, what meaneth this? Man, something's different about this guy. Something's different about this girl. They've got peace when they shouldn't have peace. They're walking in love and they're being kind to people and treating people as they want to be treated. Helping those who stand in need of help. Walking with joy day by day. Something's different about them. They're walking in victory. They're walking in abundant life. What meaneth this? What shall we do? How do I get, a bit, get in on it? Amen? That's what Rahab's saying. I know you're coming to take the city. I want to get in on it. What shall I do? See the timing of God, the truth of God. See the triumph of Rahab. Watch. Rahab's triumph is our triumph. Watch. Verse 12. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I known your, your kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Save us, is what she's saying. And the men answered her, Our life for yours. If ye utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, and her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon that wall. And she said unto them, Get ye to the mountain, and lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Now look what they tell her, verse 18. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the wind. Everybody say scarlet thread. Thou shalt bind this line. Thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window. Watch. 
And that which and that, that y'all let, that you let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee, and it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. Stay in the house. Stay in the house. Stay in the house when we come. When judgment comes, you've got to be in the house with the scarlet thread in the window. You see it? And she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet line in the window. Let me ask you something. Why would God the Holy Spirit choose to put that in there? Do you believe that the word of God is, is Holy Spirit inspired? God breathed? So why would God the Holy Spirit put this scarlet thread thing in there? I mean, was it just something cool just to let you know how she let them down? Is that what it was? What does this mean? Let me tell you what it reminds me of. Do you remember back in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve had sinned and they came before the Lord and said, and God began calling for them, Adam, where are you in the cool of the day? And they were hiding from the Lord. And finally, God become, comes face to face with Adam. And he said, Adam, why was you hiding? He said, because we was naked. God said, who told you he was naked? Because they had sinned, they began to see their shame and nakedness. And what did the Bible say? Then God killed an animal. Blood was shed, and their nakedness was covered. Blood was shed in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. It kind of reminds me of whenever Abraham was up on Mount Moriah. Do you remember that? And he was sacrificing before the Lord and, the, and, and he was going to sacrifice his one and only son unto God. And the Bible says at the moment he was about to plunge the knife into the chest of his son, an angel of the Lord stopped him. He turned around and looked and what did he find? A ram caught in the thicket. And from that moment on, God was called Jehovah Jireh because he provided a ram for the sacrifice and that lamb's blood was spilt. The scarlet thread kind of reminds me of when Moses was bringing the nation of Israel out of the bondage in Egypt. And they went through all of these different plagues. I'm talking about plague of frogs and plague of lice and plague of bulls and they tried everything. Let me ask you, you tried everything? tried to feel better you tried to think better you tried to quit that stuff you're doing and man you just can't do it I've been there you tried everything they tried everything too all of these different plagues but guess what happened in the end the only thing that brought deliverance from their bondage was what the blood of the lamb the Bible says in, Hebrew, in Exodus 12 and verse number 13, God said, you know what? Take that blood of that lamb, strike it on the left side of the doorpost, on the top of the doorpost, on the right side of the doorpost, and the, when the death angel sees the blood, he'll pass over that house. This scarlet thread kind of reminds me of the scarlet thread that runs all through the Bible. 
The scarlet thread that started in the book of Genesis in the garden and goes all the way through Revelation. I'm talking about that scarlet thread that shows us it's only by and through the blood that we are set free, that we are saved. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that we shall overcome how? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. There's a scarlet thread from Genesis to Revelation. And all who trust in the shed blood of the Lamb are saved. Amen? That's how Rahab got saved. That's how we get saved. By the blood of the Lamb. Faith in who God is and what God has done through His precious Son. Let me ask you something. Do you know you've been born again? I'm not asking you if you've ever been baptized or a member of a church or if you're a good dude. I'm not asking any of that. All that's okay. That's well and good. Whatever. But none of that saves you. Have you ever come to the place where Rahab was, where it feels like your heart had melted within you? Grace taught your heart to fear. You realized your sinfulness. You realized your need for a Savior. Has that ever been, is that true of you? And have you ever come to the place where you said, Lord, I trust fully in who you are and what you've done. If not, today's the day. See, I believe God still has perfect timing. I don't think anybody in this place this morning is here by accident. God brought you here for a reason. He's got you right here at the right time in the right place for the right purpose, providentially. I still trust in the truth of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. You've heard the word of the Lord this morning. And I'm asking you to place your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sin so that you might be saved. By grace through faith, you're saved. And the same triumph that came to the life of Rahab can also come to your life. I'm not saying you'll be free of problems. I'm not saying you ain't going to have struggles. We all have them. But let me tell you what I am saying. God will be with you in the midst of whatever you face. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. He'll walk with you, talk with you, lead God and direct you. Man, what a blessing it is to serve Jesus, to know him. I'm telling you something, if there were no heaven and there were no hell, I'd still want to know Jesus because of the peace he gives and the relationship I have with him. He is truly the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's my ever-present help in the time of need. He's my strong tower, my fortress, the one I run to. But I can't run to nobody else. I've got great friends here in this place. 
I love dearly. So thankful for you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that I know would be there for me no matter what. My, my best friend's my wife. I love her with everything in me. I really do. And she truly is my best friend. We talk about pretty much everything. But you know, there's some things I can't even talk to her about. She ain't going to get it. She ain't going to understand. I'm thankful I can bring it to the Lord. I'm thankful when I bring it to the Lord, He helps me. I'm thankful He's real to me. Is He real to you? He can be today. He can be today. Don't you wait this morning. You come.